There we go. There we go. We're back in action. Back in action. <clears throat> Need to clear these little froggies out of my throat, mate. Go for it. <clears throat> me, 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 me. Hello everyone and welcome to Not Another Whiskey Podcast, another episode where we are getting close to the 100th episode, which I cannot believe, man. I mean, honestly, when I started this podcast over two years ago, and you know, Nicholas, you came in, uh, I think we're on about 30 episodes together now. Mm -hmm. I I never thought it would get to this point and have so many amazing whiskey fans out there, just people that listen, not necessarily whiskey fans. Uh, and, and take the time to write to us. Enjoy listening to this podcast so much. Um, but before I get into t- today's episode, which is going to be a belter, by the way, as we say in Scotland, um, if you guys could do us a huge favor, and we don't ask for much, but I read some stats the other day that only 30% of people who listens to, listen to podcasts hit the follow button on their preferred platform. Now, apparently this helps a wee show like us in a huge way to grow and expand. So if you could do us a huge favor, hit that follow button. Nicholas and I would be eternally grateful. We may even buy you a dram when we see you. Obviously, a five-star review guarantees you a dram if we see you <laughs> or in a bar. Um, but anyway, let's get on with the show. Uh, speaking of the man who some say has a whiskey collection that was blessed by Charlie McLean himself. As always, <laughs> he's helping me out with today's episode, the one and only Mr. Nicholas Palaki. How are you, mate? I'm very well. I'm very well. At times like this, Mitch, this is when I ask myself, what would Charlie McLean do? Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> Every day I ask myself that. So um, what would well, Charlie do? Like you said, today we have an absolute cracker of an episode coming up on a topic that you and I know, and mm-hmm. we've got very strong opinions of, which is cask, whiskey cask investment, and the companies that sell casks of whiskey to private clients. Now, some of these companies doing so have promised inflated returns on their investment, and some even have don't even have the stock that they're trying to sell people in some instances. And we've seen this kind of being a hot topic within the whiskey world over the past few years, but especially at the moment and this week where there was announcement of a group of people who plan to advise clients on the pitfalls of this. They're called the Cask Whiskey Association or CWA as we get into this interview, as you'll hear. Uh, So today we've got a great show lined up, including an interview with Colin Hamden-White, who's going to give us the lowdown of all this new and newly formed CWA and all the things that come with it. So complicated, mate. We've got the CWA and the SWA now. Like, how how are we going to deal with these acronyms? You know what I mean? WTF. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, indeed, mate. Why the face, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I think like what what we should do, maybe not everyone's aware about you know what's been going on with regards to to these companies that are out there, this whole scenario that we've seen kind of arise within the last sort of decade, I'd say, uh, within the Scotch whiskey industry. So let's tee this up a little bit and and look at the sort of history of cask trading. Uh, and more importantly, the the history of these these cask investment companies and how they came around. So you and I discussed how we were going to talk about this, right? We and did. you made a really interesting point because I was talking about the, the the private investment cask companies. Then you went all the way back a little bit further, and and we started talking about cask trading in general, right? Which which 
when we talk about that, it's it's probably been around since the start of whiskey, the inception of whiskey. Let's you know, let's think about this for a second. Farmers making whiskey up in the the highlands of Scotland, they were probably trading bartering whiskey for other goods. Maybe not casks at that point, but maybe I don't know bottles, flagons of new make, whatever it was that they had at the time. But you know, as we progressed through. We have cask trading going on within companies that happens in a big way. And this really comes around through blended whiskies. Uh, blended whiskey companies really start trading with each other. One of the things that I always tell people is when we we, we cask a whiskey, normally it's 63.5%. And two reasons for that is, firstly, someone smarter than us decided that was a great ABV to mature whiskey at, but the second reason was for this trading of casks between companies. So everyone had that same level and knew what same level of ABV they were going to be getting. I, I think, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention indie bottlers here because that really is, is, is a big key part of this as well. And when we talk about independent bottlers, we have to mention Gordon MacPhail, you know, formed in 1895, Really, the kind of first year you were born, right? Yeah, the year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, really, the first guys with the within this independent bottling scene in Scotch whiskey, and yep. and you know, independent bottlers are obviously trading and well, more so buying casks. So that's from a company point of view. What's been happening within the industry? What we're going to focus on today is. Something that's very new, and I haven't got the exact date as to when the first private investment cask company came out. I mean, we we discussed this, Nicholas. What what do you reckon? Like ten years ago, something like that. If anyone's out there that knows when the first company was formed, please let us know. Let us know, yeah. We think it's about ten years. I think I think even if it's not ten years, much I think that the the interest from the press has driven the focus into the more public eye and more people have paid yeah. attention to the fact that whiskey is an is as a tradable commodity can can give great returns on investment if it's done properly. Yeah, but, yeah. exactly. And that's what we're talking about here. Are companies that are uh, selling casks that they may or may not have bought from distilleries uh, and selling selling it to private individuals uh, and 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 talking about the return on investment which has sometimes been uh, let's say over exaggerated, uh, and 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 this is where we have the problem, and this is where we're getting to right now. Uh, you know, a few instances that I want to talk about. There was a big case last year, so 2022, back in June, uh, a British national citizen, a guy called Casey Alexander, was over in the U.S. and he was actually arrested by the FBI for defrauding customers of around about $13 million through whiskey investments. Now, we chatted about this on the show a while back, Nicholas, and, and yep. we looked at this guy's videos. They were very polished. It kind of really seemed like this guy knew what he was talking about. But what he did was he worked for three uh, whiskey companies targeting elderly individuals, very much with this kind of deceptive idea of like, you're going to make huge profits on buying this whiskey that I have, which he didn't have. Um, he used an online persona to to sell this, I suppose, a lure of Scotch whiskey. Uh, yeah. The story goes that one 89-year-old investor in Ohio lost $300,000 to this guy. So in April 2023, 
he was actually arrested. He was pleaded. He pleaded guilty uh, to commit wire fraud and faces up to twenty years in prison. So that for me was kind of like, well, this is starting now to kick off a little bit. We're, we're seeing investigations going on. We're seeing some of this stuff come out the woodwork um, with with what's been happening here. Yep. But then the big kicker, which just happened last month, so August twenty twenty three. Uh, the UK's Advertising Standards Authority banned misleading advertising campaigns by two whiskey investment firms. So one of them uh, was called Blackford Casks, and it was noted that they were kind of they had irresponsible practices. Uh, you know, they were they were talking about kind of high return investments. And the other one was London Cast Company making misleading claims about again potential returns, risk, fees. And terms in their campaigns. Yep. So the the advertising standards agency uh, went in and in investigated this. They found four issues against each company: London Cast Company. Um, so they, they got done for improperly using logos, implied awards or endorsements. Uh, Whiskey Investment Partners was accused of taking advantage of customers' inexperience by suggesting whiskey investments for retirement funds. So both companies, I have to say, disputed the claims. Uh, and the ASA has called for uh, immediate removal of their adverts and future adverts as well. So this, again, was a massive thing when we talk about these companies. They're now being looked at with regards to what they're talking about and what they're advertising with regards to ROI, the return on investment on these private private casks and, and, and what they're advertising to private clients. So in a nutshell, Nicholas, that is it. That is what we're talking about. That's what we're getting into today. Um, anything you want to add on here, mate? No, I think that's exactly it. Right? So we're we're looking at like how how there is also opportunity for cask whiskey investment to decrease in value. That's mm -hmm. the other part of this, right? So you can't just walk around saying that this is that this is all going to be sunny and rosy. That's what the ASA uh, we're, we're we're alluding to that you know the past performance doesn't guarantee future results, which is important. That's the important part of any investment, um, and that cask whiskey investments are unregulated. So this is the other thing that people need to, to be aware of. This this chap, uh, Casey Alexander, pretended he was somebody he was not, put a very slick campaign together and, and sounded smart enough uh, and was almost new enough to be dangerous. And that's something that you should always bear in mind with with a lot of these people that want to kind of put themselves out there and, and give give people the impression that, you know, they're the experts and they, these are all the reasons why they've got credibility. And then lo and behold, $13 million of fraud later, uh, you know, you've got people that could spend 20 plus years in prison for for false advertising and, and, and presentation of, of, of taking people's money for barrels that they simply just don't have access to. So we're going to try a little, shine a little bit of light on that today. Uh, you know, Mitch, and you and I, obviously, we've got views on this, right? We've talked about cask investment companies and really my gut feel on this, and I'm going to try and sound fair and balanced on this. It's not for me. Doesn't mean it's not for other people. Um, mm. I think that whiskey investment should be looked at much more on the brands out there that have credibility and awards and accolades and master blenders that know what the they're doing. Not every barrel, just because you buy a, a, even like, let's take the highest trading uh, malt whiskey uh, brand out there. So McAllen definitely is, is the brand that leads the way, uh, but took a decrease this year on, on rare whiskey 101. So not even, not, 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 Every brand is is adverse to, to seeing slowdowns and decreases in their value as well. 
But Macallan's a good example. If you buy a, a cask of Macallan, which at one point I worked um, uh, when Macallan was starting their, their cask trade uh, program up for private clients, it was called On Premier. And it was a fabulous guy in the industry, uh, David Cox. I don't know if you, you've ever met David, but David is one of the nicest, most gentlemanly people I've ever had the pleasure of working with. Really and nice. he he really, you know, they did a really great job of putting together these kind of VIP experiences for people coming to the distillery to, to lay down a barrel of new fill. And, and it was a 10-year uh, effectively process. And then they could then bottle the liquid or they could trade it back to McAllen when it was all said and done. But the, the interesting thing was that is there was no guarantee that 10 years down the line, the whiskey was going to be great. And and But that's the thing, though, mate. It's, it's not just that as well, right? It's I'm sure you get this a lot. People coming to you and saying, I'm looking at investing into whiskey. Can you give me some advice? My answer to them is a flat out no. And the 100%. reason I say no is because I don't do it personally. So I'm not in any position to give you any advice on doing it. And personally, I'm not I'm not interested in investing in whiskey. Don't get me wrong. I've got I've got a cask of whiskey. I bought one. I bought that directly from the distillery. Yep. But I don't actively go around online on auction sites looking for bottles that are going to make me money down the line. It's I, I'd prefer much rather to buy a bottle, crack it open, and share it with someone. I'm not <laughs> saying that's right or wrong, but it's not my jam. Whiskey's my passion. I think it should be enjoyed, appreciated. Uh, and not stored in a cupboard waiting to, to sell it down the line, you know? Look, I've always said this. I've been, you know, you, you know, for myself as well, Mitch, I've been on CNBC talking about rare whiskey as an alternative investment and things like that, you know, six, seven, eight years ago, and have continued to do so. The the interesting thing with this, what I've always said is, you, you know, you got to do your homework and yep. there's it's an unregulated space, you know, but, the, but it, this is also a financial investment, right? So the people that are looking at cask trading, there, there are that is an investment. So it's not you're not asking somebody to buy a bottle from your liquor store for a hundred bucks. You're talking about hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars or millions of pounds trading hands. Mm. If that goes unregulated, or if people are bad actors in the space and, and kind of alluding to things that aren't aren't necessarily true that they can they can prove, that's not good. It's not good for the industry. Mm. And you know, that's what's really great about about uh, you know what we were talking about today which is look that the, there is a need in my opinion for an association that 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 looks at these companies there is a need for an independent body that looks at these companies and that's really what we're going to see in this interview when we speak to colin uh you know he's he's he he makes a really valid point that someone somewhere had to start it um you know you, you'll hear you'll hear us ask questions uh, that are challenging on, I guess, you know, they, they these guys actually have a cask um, investment company as well. So maybe it's not appropriate for these guys to necessarily sit on the board. Maybe it is like, you know, that, that, that's, that's up to the association and the, and the, and the, the voting rights that they put out, which, which Colin speaks to, which I think is really candid and, and, and open so I guess in the interest of transparency, because usually Mitch and I like to clip things out if we say things wrong or you know need to repeat things or we stumble over our words, which often happens, uh, in the interest of complete transparency, we're going to play this entire interview in raw format, completely and utterly untouched and unedited. 
Uh, so you'll hear me rushing to get to an airport at some point. <laughs> but so apologies for that. But outside of that, I think it's a great interview. I think uh, you know Colin does a great job of explaining why there was a need to put the the CWA together and what the future of it will look like as as it starts to grow. A recording on the computer. We'll get yep. this underway, man. All right. Um, Colin, great to see you, sir. Um, it's been a while. I was trying to, do you know, I was trying to think the other day, when was the last time we hung out? I think it was 2018, right? Yeah, at about three in the morning in the Balvenie Maltings, perhaps. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about there. <laughs> I think you might no, be right. right. <laughs> I was up staying in, uh, in Torin. I think that was the last time I, uh, we saw each other. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. It's uh, I know you're a, you're you're a busy person, so it's great to have you on here. Pleasure. Fantastic. Yeah. So, so Colin, like this is actually the first time I've got to meet you. So again, great, great for coming on the show and, and great to kind of connect with you. Tell us a little bit about like your background, like who you are, what you've been doing in, in the in the whiskey business, and then if you can, just tell us a little bit about what started the inspiration for Cask Whiskey Association. Sure. Um, I suppose, I mean, I started about 15 years ago as a, as a writer. Um, I was originally a photographer and that took me into the booze world because, well, I loved booze and I couldn't afford half of it. So I thought, hmm, if I take photographs of the people that make it, then maybe I'll get to taste some nice things. Um, and that happened. And then I got to write about the people that I was taking photographs of. And that led me down the rabbit hole of just exploring every single thing about whiskey that I could get my hands on. Um, and since then, I've been writing away. Um, my first gig was with Condé Nast. Um, and then I ended up writing and editing Whiskey Quarterly magazine for three years. Um, and then having said that I would only do three years, I held myself to that and had no idea what I was going to do next. And then we decided to do some TV. And luckily it worked. So I gave up Whiskey Quarterly in December of 2017. And by the end of February, we were starting to make TV for Amazon, um, which was a lot of fun. Yeah. That's it in a nutshell. Pretty, pretty quick that. Well, I do I do lots of other little bits and pieces here and there. Um, I consult to a cast trading company. Um, and that is where the whole idea of the Whiskey Association came about. The company that I work for was um, created by a collector. He was first collecting bottles and then casks. And then he, and that's how I got to know him, sort of just on the whiskey scene. And then Who's he's that? Like, What's his name? Simon Aaron. And he's yep. the uh, owner of Cask Trade. And he, he he tried to find the casks that he'd bought and have them all collated, all put into one um, account. And it took him about 18 months. And he found that there were casks that didn't have the right amount of liquid in them. They hadn't been regaged for a very long time. They were not in the warehouses that they were supposed to be in. And there was even a cask that, um, that he'd bought that uh, didn't exist. It had been it had been double, if not triple sold, a cask of Springbank 1992, which he was rather annoyed about. So he then thought, okay, somebody's got to be able to do this properly. Somebody is going to be able to do it transparently, open, make it easy for the customer to understand exactly what's going on, where the casks are, what they are, just everything, all, all the things that he'd encountered that were, were not good, he wanted to correct. Um, he'd sold a business not that long ago, so he had the backing to be able to do it. And he asked me if I would come and help. And I said, yeah, okay, if, if you're going to do it properly, if you're going to do it correctly, 
um, then definitely I'll come and help. And that was about three years ago. So from that um, came across, we came across lots of other issues within the cask trading industry, which were mainly companies that were either behaving irresponsibly, um, unscrupulously, or some of them actually, it was just out of naivety and inexperience. They didn't, they didn't know what to do and they didn't know how to do it. Um, so we thought, okay, what if there were a body that helped with that? It helped with best practice so that if there were companies out there that were starting up, they could come to it for advice on how to do it the best way. Um, and then also customers would have a safe place to go to be able to buy and sell casks as well. There was sort of a trusted group of, of cask traders. And it's open to everybody. That was the key thing we wanted this association to be, was inclusive. So anybody anybody can apply to join, um, and the, the structure keeps it independent. So the members of the association can't keep out other companies if they fit the criteria. Because if the members vote somebody out, then there's an advisory board that is independent, made up of lawyers within the industry, insurance people, um, other well-known personalities and writers like Charlie McLean and Hans Offringer. Um, and I sit on, on that board as well. And we basically, we watch the watchman. We make sure that what goes on within the members in terms of new membership um, is dealt with correctly. So that is the, I suppose, the basics of it. But it's all, it, it's all about best practice, governance, transparency, um, and independence. Fantastic. So, so that's interesting that, that anyone can become a member of, can we call it the CWA, just to oh, right. cut it down? Is that right? <laughs> Let's call it CWA. So yeah. you, you've set up a, almost like a core group. Am I right in saying that with the members? Or is it just anyone who comes along then then is, is part of the membership? How's it, how's it really working? I mean, there must be, you mentioned a few names there. Is, are you guys the kind of head of this and then everyone, the other members come along? There are um, seven member members that have started it. We needed to start somewhere. We couldn't sort of do years and years of consultation and then eventually launch with a full membership. Um, so we had some people who were, well, in inverted commas, founder members, but actually there is no hierarchy. They, they have no more benefit being founder members than somebody who will join, you know, next year or the year after that. It's one member, one vote. Simple as that. Um, but they were keen to start it because they saw the necessity for it. And at some point, you know, somebody's got to put their head above the parapet and go, right, we need to start. We need to start doing something. So let's do that. I think it's pretty much how any association starts. You know, companies within an industry decide that they want to protect it, the industry. Um, and they, so they start an association. And, yep. and you mentioned earlier as well, Colin, just with regards to, you know, some of the examples that you saw of these other companies within the industry. What what kind of examples did you see that you can uh, give to us? Um, okay, a quite simple one would be um, selling a cask that is OLA, selling it as if it were based on its original litres of alcohol in the cask, i.e. full. But the cask might be five years old or eight years old, and it hasn't been re-gauged. So the actual litres of alcohol that are inside that cask will differ, but the price will be for a full cask. And the actual um, the actual liters of alcohol, which is called RLA, regaged liters of alcohol, will be less. So effectively, you're buying a cask for more than you should be. So that's a simple one. Another one would also be somebody buying a cask without the proper naming rights. So they are sold a Royal Brackler, but actually they can't use the name Royal Brackler, and it should be called Cordor Springs. 
which is the trading name, I suppose, for Royal Brackler, used by blenders. And that goes on quite a lot as well. And it's not always um, out of sort of spitefulness or scamming or trying to make money. It is simply sometimes some of these companies don't know that you're not supposed to be able to call it Royal Brackler um, and they make mistakes. There are obviously okay. companies that know exactly what they're doing too. Yeah. So here's a good hypothetical for you. The Not Another Whiskey podcast is doing very well. Mitch and I have got a couple of million bucks, right? <laughs> a couple of million pounds <laughs> that we want to invest into yeah. buying whiskey casts. Like mm-hmm. as this process, like, you know, it can often involve like hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands, if not millions of dollars in this or in, in pounds in this, in this instance. What, yeah. what would this process look like for us coming to the, the, the CWA, you know, looking to invest into this process? Like what financial regulations are there to kind of help navigate us through that and protect us as that investor effectively into the space and what does the, C- the cwa bring to the table to support okay so we, we we cannot advise on any sort of financial transaction you know that's not what we're here for we're not to be able to advise on investments we don't do that what we what we try and do is show companies that are behaving responsibly and have great best pra- practice so they will look after a customer extremely well we're not saying that you shouldn't go to customers out with the Cask Whiskey Association. Um, we're just simply saying that the, com- the companies that are within it, we do know how they operate and that they operate very well. And so rather than us giving um, advice, we would say, reach out to our members and ask them. Uh, and we trust them to treat you well, be honest um, and do things correctly. Not that other companies don't, that aren't our membership, but we can say that ours do. Got you. Cool, cool. So, uh, you know, Colin, let's let's chat about the, the SWA, not the CWA. So the Scotch Whiskey uh, Association, uh, which mm-hmm. is really the only governing body when it comes to whiskey right now. Did you guys connect with them before setting up the CWA? Like, if not, wh- why haven't you done that? Or is there a plan to do that further on down the line? No, we absolutely consulted with them. They were fantastic. Um, we spoke to their head of legal, a guy called Alan Park, who was extremely helpful. Um, he gave us some guidance on how the SWA, so I'll say that again, he gave us some guidance on how the SWA was set up um, as a, a company without guarantee and was really supportive, actually. Um, I know they haven't come out and made any sort of commentary, which I don't think they would do because cask trading is nothing to do with them. They, they consider it out with their remit um but yes they were fantastic we also consulted with the bonded warehouse association who were also very supportive and are very very um, concerned with best practice within the warehouses so yeah we had good support um we also had some fantastic support from the all parliament all party parliamentary group for scotch uh wendy chamberlain who's the mp for fife She's the chair of that group that so we met with her in Westminster um, and she was hugely supportive. And the CWA will go and speak to that all party parliamentary group um, in the coming months. That's do, you awesome. the, do you think the SWA should get more involved? And if so, how would you like them to be more involved? I mean, if the SWA wanted to be, it'd be fantastic. I mean, they are so well respected um, throughout the industry that if they were to, wonderful. I mean, it's it's anything that helps the industry, the cast trading industry, would be great. But I also understand that that doesn't fall within their articles. So it's difficult for them to do that. They've had some advice on their website in the past for people who are looking to buy casks, um, but they aren't able to sort of 
do what we want to try and do. They they don't they simply don't work with car trading companies. They work for the brand Scotch. You know, it is the Scotch Whiskey Association uh, rather than Cask Trading Association, which is why we set it up. You know, if they if they were able to take it on, wonderful. But as far as we know, they're not. So that that is one of the other reasons we had to start something. It's very cool. So what, one of the things that I think is, is interesting with this, and so I'm starting to get a better idea actually of what this is. So anybody who's involved in trading barrels or whatever can come to the Cask, uh, Cask Whiskey Association and register to become a member, and then they're checked out by the board. Um, obviously, you, you, you said it's an, an independent board of these experts within the field and, and, and legal experts, and, and, then, and then yourself, you sit on this board, is that correct? Yeah, at the moment, I'm chairing it simply because somebody needed to start chairing it. And right. yes, I, I am a director of Cask Trade. I'm not a shareholder. Um, but what will happen at the very first meeting for the advisory board, which is the one that I chair, not the members board, um, they will vote. And we will have a vote to see who will be chairman. Um, whether that's me or not, no idea. We'll find out at the first meeting. But so that, that, that's, that's where my question was going. How, how do you avoid that conflict of interest, I guess? If you've got, if you're set, like, because there's a financial aspect of this, right? So people make money on trading barrels. Yeah. And obviously you guys, yourself and, and, and your partner, um, um, Michael Aaron, uh, sorry, Simon Michael Aaron, he's he's obviously got like vested interest in this. So how do you guys divide and conquer to ensure that uh, this association moving into its next steps doesn't become a situation where you've got like the fox looking after the hen house kind of thing, but you've actually got like, nobody who's involved in the actual trading of barrels that can financially benefit from it sits on this independent board to, to look at who's who's then. I think, I think that's a very trading. good question. Uh, and it's also, it's, it's pretty difficult because if we look at the people who are involved who understand Scotch on that advisory board, that all of us in some form or other are going to benefit in some way. So I work with Cask Trade, for example. Um, yeah. I also, um, I've, written some work for William Grant, for example. Charlie McLean works with Diageo. He works with the Cast of Distinction. Hans, Hans Offringer, he, he advises um, the SWI, which is one of the members. And I think that just generally speaking, we, we have so many different things that we do that I'm hoping that people will see us as a group to be transparent enough, to trust us enough. Um, that also having... And you know, George Freer, for example, from um, from Shepherd Wedderburn, um, the lawyer on our advisory panel, that they would also see a, a lawyer as being independent and trying to keep us independent too, um, as well as Graham Dempster um, within Bruce Stevenson Insurance Company. So, I'm, I, mean, I mean, I think that it would be very difficult to have people who had no interest in casks at all, um, who would be independent and know the Scotch industry well enough to be able to make a yeah. judgment call. But this is the best that we can do. Yeah, I, I, part of me agrees with you there, but part of me also thinks, look, that like for us, like Mitch as well, like we all work with whiskey companies. We've all traded, we've all, um, we've all, we've all effectively got our hands in, and you know we make money from the Scotch whiskey industry, right? But yeah. there's a difference between being involved in the industry and then being involved in the casks trading side of things as well. Yes. So I think that that's the distinction I'm trying to make, like. Yes, people who work for William Grant and Sons and, and make money and consult and do all these other things. Yes. But William Grant and Sons are not in the cask trading business. So making money from William Grant and Sons is separate from we have an independent company that just buys and trades barrels, which is what yep. London Cask Traders does. How do we how do you sit on that and, and make peace with that? Because obviously, and being candid, like 
obviously mm-hmm. this is something that's that's been flagged in the press just this week, right? So we've seen stuff in Business Insider, we've seen stuff in Forbes magazine, and it's not particularly positive right now. I think it's, it's no, fair to say. Do you, do you know the person who wrote in in Forbes magazine what I, they? I, 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 I do, I do. So I, 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 and and and, and I, I, I get that as well, right? But I think that the point isn't isn't valid. Uh, the point isn't less valid just because of, of how they make money as well. So I know that they, they do things and they trade vows yeah. and they do some other stuff as well. But they, what are your thoughts? Like, how, how do we get it into a positive okay. place? I think it, I think it helps that I, I, I don't um, I don't deal in trading casks. I do I do a lot of tasting of casks. I say whether they're good, they're bad. They, I think that they should be kept for longer. Whether they're ready to bottle, I do tasting notes. I don't. I don't advise at all on the buying or selling of them in any way whatsoever. And Hans is the same, and Charlie is the same. We we we, we look at quality, um, and for, if they come to us for advice on, and they did at the beginning, you know, on, on how things were run, what's the best way to perhaps do things. Um, yes, we give that advice, but we, or certainly I, do not get involved with buying or selling of casks at all. That's not what who, I'm. Who- who would you love to see come in? Is there people that you're like, ah, I'd love to see these people be on this board or like people that come in? Who would you like to see kind of come to the association to be a part of it? Is there any any like must-haves that you'd love to, to kind of uh, add into the list? There are, and I, I can't say because we, we, we're, <laughs> we're talking to them right now. Um, okay, there you go. There are some, there are some, some good people that people will absolutely know. Um, and yes, they work for other companies. They work for yep. some quite big companies. But I think there are, they are people um, that people respect um, and will know um, and will trust because these people, I mean, all the, all, all the companies do trade in casks. I mean, we know that. Um, you know, even, even William Grants at a very high level will trade in private clients with casks, as do White Mackay, as do everybody, really. Um, yeah. it's, just not, it's not as well publicized, but everybody does trade in casks. Um, so, you know, nobody is completely removed from it, but it's not the core business. I mean, William Grant's core business is producing bottles and selling them all over the world, um, as, as do many other of the big companies. But what our primary concern is, is with being able to just protect the consumer from companies that aren't behaving well. Um, and if those companies are doing it unscrupulously, well, you know, that's kind of up to them. If there are companies that want to know how to do it, well, we'll, we'll help them. Um, you know, if we're not trying to create a boys club. Anybody will be able to join as long as they pass the criteria for being able to join. Uh, there's there's going to be no closed doors to good practice. I want to yeah, go. I like that. I think, uh, go ahead. Sorry, Mitch. Sorry. Um, I just want to go back to Nicholas's point, though, Colin. I mean, you know, you look at companies house for CWA and it's set up with your name and it's set up with Simon's name. And I get what you're saying. You don't trade in casks, but Simon does, yeah. right? Does. I mean, that's his company. This it, is a really, that, this is a really think, simple thing, Mitch. Somebody has to start somewhere and with somebody. Yeah. Somebody's got to put their head above the parapet and start it. We're there nominally. As soon as the first meetings have happened for the members board, which is what Simon sits on, the advisors board, which is what I sit on, then those positions will change. It's a practical point of being able to just start an association, not more than that. And with Simon, yeah, I ask his advice sometimes with with the association from a business point of view. But I, you know, it's not about the cast trading at all. I don't, I don't get myself involved in that. 
Great. So it's a practical thing. I'm, I'm sure that as directors, we're, we're not going to be there for very long. This thing has just started. Somebody had to start it, and it had to have some formal uh, form of legal structure. You have to have directors of the, of the company. So it was us. That's all. Very cool. Um, this is actually the first time that we've met. So one of the things, like, and, and actually, I did look at this, like, what would it look like for me to invest? And I, look, I took a look at Cash Traders, uh, London Cash Traders, took a look at Cash Whiskey Association, and I was like, this is like, how, how would I go through my due diligence process and some stuff and understanding who I'm speaking to and, and working with all that stuff. And then like when you email me, I was like, this is pretty cool. Like I, I had to speak to Mitch. I was like, so I was looking at some stuff. Like, can I ask a question? When were you knighted? Like, because it's, you're, oh, you're Sir Colin hand and white, right? Yeah. No, that, I, was, I wasn't knighted. Um, there is a very old title from Edward III's reign that wasn't recorded. There were quite a few baronets from that time. They were never recorded. I'm not in Burnett, in, in uh, De Bretz, and I was not knighted. Um, I, I, some people have used the title um, by mistake, um, and some people still do. I don't. Um, it's not on the Cast Trade website. And no, it's, it's, uh, it's an old title. Some people choose to recognize it. Some people don't. Well, so that's an interesting point because in Cask Whiskey Association and and uh, Company's House, it is registered as that. So, as a as an investor or somebody that's looking to look at authenticity within the space, yeah. I would look at who I'm doing business with, and in that environment, if I am, for example, I I actually worked with the Bretts and I did some stuff with with McAllen and the Bretts uh, for mm-hmm. about six months at one point. So I understand how peerage works. And, and if that's the case, and I'm an investor in Asia or in the States and I don't understand that, why would that be on company's house? Because that gives a lot of credibility to the people. I, I think, all right, okay, I'm dealing with people who are you know, notorious and, and all these other things. Why well, would that be in company's house? Well, I've, I've no idea. I'll need to correct them. Thank you for bringing it to my attention. I didn't know. All right, no worries. Cool. So, Colin, I've, got I wanna... I need, I've got a flight. I'll... Sorry, give two more minutes, mate, and then I need to bounce. Okay, sorry, where did that? Out, yeah, no, I, I want to. I want to wrap up just by saying thank you very much, Colin, for being on the show. Um, goals five years from now, CWA. What have they, What have you guys done? What have you achieved? What What would you like to have seen happen? Um, I think I'd quite like to see a little bit more transparency over the over advertising standards. Uh, which has already started to happen. I mean, we had two companies that were pulled up on it very recently. It would be nice to see that um, that happen. Whether we change or want to change regulation wholesale, um, I'm not sure. And that's not really kind of up, up to me. That's up to the members and what they would like to try and do. Um, it would be nice to see the membership uh, grow substantially. And I think it will. We've had a lot of inquiries already by some pretty nice companies. Um, so yes, I just think it would be nice that um, the discussion keeps on going as well. Um, we don't want a fait accompli. It's it's always going to be a discussion. Whiskey always is a discussion, which is one of the th- nice things about it. Absolutely. I think that's I think that's absolutely perfect. Yeah, I agree. I think this is this is something that can evolve. Thanks for explaining. It. I think to, to to understand how members can get involved, and for people out there that are in this space that want to get involved, you know, you can reach out to Cask Whiskey Association, see about becoming a membership, and, and having your voice heard within the space. I think that's it's good to be that inclusive. I think that's what's needed in this environment. Mitch and I speak about this in the podcast a lot. There is there there is not a, a spotlight on this space. We have mm-hmm. seen a lot of bad actors that come to the table and, and, and say things and, and do things where they, where they, they, they're not what they say they are. And I think that having some transparency in the space is only going to help and protect the Scotch whiskey industry specifically. So it's good, good to see. 100%. Fantastic. Thank you very much for giving me some time.
All right, Cheers, brother. Take care. Yeah, Thanks, you too. Thank you very much. Really nice to meet you, Nicholas. Cheers, Cheers Carl. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye. Bye. All right, so, uh, yeah, really great interview there. I thought there was some interesting points raised. I think this has been a real hot topic this week. Uh, you know, as we record this, we're only, uh, I think it's about a week, maybe a week and a half into this being announced. So a lot of questions that I've seen online from people were answered very well, I thought, by Colin. Yeah. Uh, now, I think the big thing here, right, and let's address the elephant in the room, and I think we did this in the interview, should a cask trading company be heading up this? We don't know. It's, it's not for us to say. I'm sure you guys out there will have your own opinions on this, and I'm sure this will be a running debate that that will keep going on, right, as as we progress through this, and, and who knows where it's going to go. Yeah, And I think what's nice about that as well is that that may not be the case. Like they're, they're going to need to have meetings. They're going to need to make a uh, voting uh, part of this. And, you know, there are a whole load of other bodies that are involved in this, you know, from legal scholars and, and um, you know, whiskey experts in the space. The, the smart play may be for these guys to vote to step down and say, look, now, we're, now we've got this established, which was the goal. Like Colin said that really well, which was the goal is someone somewhere needed to start this. And it hadn't been done. It is something that's needed. So these guys have done it, which I think, you know, tip of the hat to that, those guys for just having the, the 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 starting point and getting the ball moving. But maybe maybe they'll hand the reins over and step down and say, look, this is now in the hands of independent bodies that are going to oversee all of these things and govern. And we will be another member of the association and, and be judged equally like every other cask trading company that wants to be a member of the association, which I think would be really strong. Um, and he said that, that that is something that they're... That, 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 you know, you got to start somewhere. So I think you know we'll, we'll wait and see what happens in the future. There's nothing that we can do to 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 judge that. And I think that everyone out there will see see as this transpires over time. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's a good starting point. It needed to be done. Uh, you know, there there are some big names in it. There's there's a lot of people in there that I I respect that are on yep. the board. Hundred uh, percent. You know, going back to the episode we did a couple of weeks ago with Becky, I'd like to see a little bit more diversity in there. Hundred percent. You know, it was. Uh, there was a lot of the the, the familiar was, the, yeah the sausage factory of whiskey yeah exactly yeah, yeah, let's yeah. let's move on right I think well, I yeah. there's a one thing that that we that we spoke about off camera as well that yeah. you know before this like there needs to be a better diversity of, of representation on this board but I you know I'm sure Colin and Simon hopefully they're they're listening to this and and they're going to take note of that and I, who knows that might even be in their plans that's maybe something we should have asked Colin a hundred percent. But that, do you know what I thought was really good with Colin? Like he was so open to being like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Like, like it's not that they've not thought of it and it's not that it can't happen. It's not that they don't want it to happen. They've just not got there yet. They just announced this. They've just put it together. They've clearly been starting to have conversations with a lot of the right people in the space. Like let's give, you know, let's not all jump to conclusions. Let's give the benefit of the doubt that this is something that could be really productive if it's handled independently. And that's really, that's really the sticking point, right? Where we were saying, you know, this, how, how do we get complete independence on this? And I think that that will happen over time. Like they've, they've, they've got to get it going first before they can step down. You can't just be like, well, if there's nothing to step down from, then there's nothing to step down from. But I think that, yeah. you know, that's, that's something that'll happen down the line. And we'll start to see this just really being a governing body 
independently run by people that don't own cask investment companies, that's going to give it a lot more credibility and a lot more authority to do what it needs to do. Yeah, I mean, and I hope so because it's been a bugbear within the, the Scotch whiskey industry for a while now. 100%. Anyway, mate, moving off this subject, let's yes. talk about what is happening tomorrow. I jump on a plane and this time tomorrow, I will be about four hours from seeing your good looking face, mate. <laughs> I know, mm-hmm. I can't wait. So that's it. How long has it been since we've actually hung out? Hung out? Was it, it here last been... time when you were here? Yeah, yeah, would have been. What was that, 2017? Yeah. <gasps> Was it? Yep. Whoa. There you go. So I jump on a plane tomorrow. I'm gonna we're gonna hang out. Sunday, we are gonna record a load of episodes because we are gonna be together. You you might have heard us talking in previous episodes about how we were gonna do a live version of the show. We have decided to not do that. And there's a couple of reasons why. Firstly, the run-up to this, we've been so busy, the both of us. Putting it together was an absolute nightmare. Uh, Keepers of the Quake dinner is going on right in the middle of when we were going to record. Keepers of the Quake so, USA. USA, yeah. In New York. Like so, New York. so all the Keepers are in town. Which you would have thought would have been easy, but apparently they were super busy like during the day when we were going to do it. And then they're obviously <laughs> at night. But we're going to be at the dinner at night anyway, so maybe we get some sound bites from people and add that in. But we're going to record Sunday. We're going to record about five episodes, I think, back to back, including I've just packed. I think I sent you a picture of this last night. Right? All the samples that I've been sent by everyone. Thank you so much for all those that have sent samples. We are going to sit down and try them all on Sunday. One episode. One <laughs> episode. <laughs> It, it will, might be a bit of a slurry one. It'll be the Blazing Saddles episode. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be our final Farrah before we're cancelled. But uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to it, Mitch. I, I'd never thought for two seconds you'd actually pack them up. You look like a whiskey mule smuggling right. stuff in. Yeah. yeah it's going to be I fun. I mean, are you putting them in the case or are you doing your usual, yeah. putting it in a condom and swallowing it? <laughs> I'm hoping for the rubber glove again, mate, you know? Always there like you that. go. And well, the TSA and, and then Newark, I'm sure, are going to gladly oblige. You look like <laughs> the kind of guy that needs a rubber glove interview. So, <laughs> Right, but anyway, we're going to wrap this up. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Colin, thank you so much for coming on the show. We appreciate your time. Uh, we hope you enjoyed that, guys, and we'll see you again soon. Take it easy. Bye.